since I wandered from my home In those Oklahoma hills where I was born Many page of life I've turned Many a lesson I have learned Still I feel like in those hills I still belong Way down yonder in the Indian Nation up everybody and welcome to another edition of Red State Blues I am one of your hosts. I am Devo here, and as always, I'm joined by Daniel, the political manual. Daniel, how you doing? I'm doing all right. We got college football back. Everything's back to normal. Yes, um, a full slate of garbage games today. Um, yeah, blowing this COVID thing out of the water. You know, so, you know, yeah. uh, you know, Daniel. Uh, I was thinking, you know, given that we were just now getting college football back for real. You would have thought they could have given us a few more better week one games. But, you know, I guess they wanted to remind us what a real week one in college football looks like to make it as normal as possible. Just a bunch of garbage teams playing other garbage teams. So, uh, you know, hey, it is what it is. Uh, sports are back. The NFL's back. And uh, we also have our guest, Alan Belsky, is back. Our, uh, our We'll call him our junior co-host. How about that? It's our junior co-host coming to us live from what is hopefully going to be a uh, – purple state and maybe going blue this year is ohio still uh down i believe five we're gonna flip two house seats we'll flip two house seats i don't know about the presidential election we'll see we'll see uh but it is it's been another uh you know it's been another week (laughs) another week of politics in america oh boy just you know i uh i don't know about you guys but i'll get the facebook memories that pop up and uh I got one from like two years ago that was the guy that wanted to take his gun into the gathering place. And I was just like, man, I liked it when that was our biggest problem was like just that guy. Right. That, that weird. No, that, that same guy wants to take his COVID into the gathering place. <laughs> if wants to take if you're COVID, COVID at home, sir, leave it in your car, put it in your glove COVID box. at home. Uh, Belsky, give us a quick update. What's the, what's Ohio looking like? What's the, how are things going up there in Ohio with the cove and everything else? Man. Well, Mike DeWine is our governor, and he started out as a – hi, guys. Yeah, hi, everybody. Yeah, thank you for having me back, back by popular demand, meaning I, I said, hey, uh, have me back, please. Well, and, you're a third of our listenership, so, yeah, we've got to keep the loyal listeners happy. <laughs> yeah, sh- yeah, shout out to Tim and uh, Lucas, and uh, I think Landry listens, so shout out to Landry as well. There's the quadfecta. Tim, I do, want to apolo- I do want to apologize. He follows me on Twitter now, so, you know, I – Everything I said about Tim, like, eh, his name's Tim, you know, bleep that guy. I, I do rescind that, Tim, and uh, Tim Hansen, good good dude. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, – DeWine started out as a good COVID governor, and then he had this incredible medical director named Amy Acton, and then these, ter- these people harassed her. She ended up resigning. Recently, they tried to hire someone from the state of South Carolina. This was, I think, earlier in the week, and within, like, hours of – DeWine announcing this person, they they turned publicly turned down the job, you know, presumptively due to threats from Ohio people. Like so Ohio's not Ohio's not so great in a lot of places. It's very red in a lot of places. But luckily I'm, as I said last time, in a in a blue bubble here, you know, my street, my neighborhood, um, my city. Um so that part's good, but it's still scary, you know. Um everyone's at home, uh work school for for the for the kiddo and that's relieving that you know we have the ability to do that whereas a lot of folks don't at least we don't have to flip the white house 
or flip Ohio to win the White House anymore. So at least that's no, the not, map, the no. map's doable without it. And if, if, if it's a safe assumption, it's, it's going to stay red for sure. If it's, if it goes blue, there's no way Ohio goes blue and Biden loses, put it that way, right. this map. Right. I would yeah. say if it's within two points, you know, I, I don't think it could be within two points and Biden lose. That no. would, I don't see that happening either. Yeah. So, I mean, here's what I think about that. I think Biden is almost guaranteed to win the popular vote between four and eight million votes. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's what a lot of the models say. But electoral college. Well, yeah. And Nate Silver had a... Um, a piece out, I don't have it in front of me, but he said that if Biden wins by one to 2% of the popular vote, right. or 1% or less, then he's got like a 15% chance of winning the election. If it's three to four, then he's got like a 35 to 40% chance of winning. If it's five to six, then um, he's got like an 80% chance to win. So 80 plus. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a way to look at it, but like it's just it's a it's definitely it's a reflection of the electoral college system. If you know, if uh, Biden only wins by a million votes, that means he lost Michigan because you know he's going to win California by four, three and a half million votes. He's going to win New York by two, two and a half million votes. He's going to you know win Connecticut by six hundred thousand, whatever. Like so, those are built-in things. It's just it's a reflection of what would happen on the map had he. If he, if I personally believe, you know, I'm smarter than Nate Silver. No, I'm not. Um, <laughs> but I personally believe that if Biden does lose, does win by less than four million popular votes, he he will lose. It'll be a reflection of Michigan's the same ish, Pennsylvania's the same ish, Florida's the same ish, if not worse. Like, you know, miracle things like Georgia, Texas, Iowa didn't happen in the electoral map. It's a reflection. You know, it's a reflection of what would happen um but god please let all let the 75 percent scenarios that nate silver you know who is much smarter uh you know bear out like because it's well, scary right now you know uh not to sound like a, a donald trump uh you know clone here i i just i mean at this point, after you know the past and, and the stuff that we've seen recently in Oklahoma elections, I just don't—I don't know what polling even means anymore. Like, I just—I just don't know. I don't know that. Like, I've never really understood yeah. who is being polled. I've never been polled. The only people I'm polled by are like the Biden campaign. Like, you know, and and I know that you know my my polling wouldn't would just be staunchly one way or the other. I remember the old days, polling was done by phone who answers their phone if you get a weird phone number on there? I don't like that. That's going to voicemail. So like, like where are you, you know, I, I guess I, I just don't understand the logistics behind the polling numbers. I, I certainly, and maybe it's just we're con I'm conditioned at this point to just assume that it's going to be the worst case scenario and that every MAGA hat wearing person is going to make it out to the polls uh, and just, take this for Trump again. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 it, you know, it's one of those, it's going to be a very, very stressful November 3rd. <laughs> Let's just, just say. Well, and beyond more, weeks after. Yeah. I, Hopefully I mean, only that, weeks after. That brings up the bigger point of, I am much more optimistic about um, 
the views of America as it um, pertains to Donald Trump and how they're done with them. I mean, numbers support that. And my concern is not November um, 3rd, 3rd or 4th? 3rd. 3rd, November 3rd. My concern is not November 3rd. My biggest concern is January 19th or 20th or whenever Inauguration Day is because I don't see Trump as somebody who would just bow down and accept a loss. He's not a take no. a L kind of guy. So, no. I, you know, I, I, I get that he's not a take an L kind of guy, but I think it'll be like, I don't think he has, obviously he won't have any legitimacy to challenge. I think he's been sowing seeds of illegitimacy in the end of this election um, for months now. I think that's his whole master plan is to lose the general and then say, I told you, told you it was fixed. And then why would he leave if he thought it was fixed? He will yeah. not accept the election. No, he's going to try. I mean, he's going to, I think what, what Devo is saying is like, he's going to try no matter what, but like, if it, I'm, and this is speaking hopefully, obviously, like, yes, God, like, has he ever admitted that he made a mistake, like, in life ever? Um, my wife and I have been listening to Mary, Mary Trump's book, um, Too Much and Never Enough. And, you know, she's psychoanalyzed, she's as qualified as anyone to psychoanalyze. I'm a doctor, you know, psychoanalyst who is a close family member. And, like, he has never admitted a mistake. He has not learned in his psyche to be able to concede anything about anything. So why would this be different? However, fingers crossed, knock on, knock on wood, like, you know, it's the numbers are there. He won last time. He won the electoral college last time. Like if, you know, when all the votes come in, in person, then absentee, like the count is there, then like, what can he actually do other than be the worst, most terrifying lame duck president of all time who can, give god knows what kind of criminals pardons but you know i'm hopeful like that we just we can well i'm afraid because this will I'm be scared, his, though. yeah this will be his most public of many no. embarrassed so you know i don't think he's going to own this one he said that three million people voted illegally last election and he won it and accepted it voted against him of course but imagine if he loses he'll say that 10 million people voted illegally and that's cause for staying in office. So, yeah. but you're right to about polling, like to go back to it, like the polls were, were wrong and like the sample sizes are, are too small and the media, the medium through which they're communicating with their voters. Is it through the mail? Is it, you know, I've never, I'm as civically engaged as that, you know, I'm 18 years old. I voted just like you guys did. Like I've never, I don't believe I've ever been polled, <clears throat> been polled either. And, um shoot let's create you know why don't we let's start let's start a polling a polling place guys i mean sooner poll just released a poll um that you know kendra horn and um vice in the oklahoma five of super swing congressional district they're they're tied but like last time they said that steve russell was up was going to win by 10 points and he lost so like sooner poll Trump, is not very good i'll just i'll just say that sooner poll is they i don't know what their rating is on 538 but I would imagine it's not very high because they sooner poll is not very accurate. Yeah. Not as accurate but, as the polls. But you know, the sample sizes are incredibly small and how, how is it reflective of the act and you know, electorate, you know, 60 plus million people voted on each side last time. I think it was, you know, probably with the third party candidates, 130 million plus people voted, you know, 
there there's no way to really reflect that other than the actual results themselves and you know stuff like the census where we know where people are and you know whatever like um but well i i do feel like from a national standpoint the polls were not very far off we just didn't understand that you could win by three percent in a national poll and then lose an election we didn't realize that that was really something that would happen i don't no, Pennsylvania. I, I mean, what Pennsylvania, Michigan? I don't think Wisconsin. Those states weren't thought of as all in play for for Trump. I mean, the, you know that part of the electorate, just like Devore was saying, was you know they he hasn't lost much support. You know, you knew about him in 2016. Like that's what you know. All this new stuff about Woodward and you know how disgusting he is. Yes, but like you know. The Gold Star family, you know, being dissed, you know, John McCain being called not a war hero, you know, grab grab him by the pussy. All that stuff happened before the 2016 election. So, like, but, you know, has has Biden, has our side gained any support? There was a lot of ambivalence for Hillary. Like, yeah, I mean, I was about to say um, Biden did not run in 2016. Right. Hillary was one of the most hated candidates of all time. So I think any comparison to 16 is not fair. Also, Trump's style and bravada is perfect for a challenger and not good at all for an incumbent. Yeah, he's got talk about how horrible stuff is. Yeah, he's got, you know, as the challenger, he, he can be do that. But when he is the incumbent and things are objectively far worse than they were four years ago. His commercials I mean, are Trump's America saying this is going to be Biden's America. Showing pictures of Trump's America. Yeah. Well, I know we're I know we're a little all over the the uh, the map here right now. Um, but you did bring up commercials, and I don't know if uh, D Brown had thought about this, but I know a lot of people in Oklahoma, uh, liberals in Oklahoma, are really tired of the Jim Inhofe commercials that have been running constantly, uh, which basically say that if you're a liberal, you're not an Oklahoman. No, well, it doesn't basically say that. It explicitly says if you're a progressive, a liberal, or a socialist, then you are not an Oklahoman. Disgusting. And it features several old white people that he shakes hands with. So there's not a POC in the House for his re-election to the Senate campaign to be to help drain the swamp that he's been a part of for the last 50 years. <laughs> Yes. Well, oh, his daughter, his daughter, like you know, adopted uh, an African kid. So no way, he's racist. That's what that's what he'd come with, I think. Clearly, clearly, yeah. Feel, clearly, feel clearly, yeah. And that's also, absolutely disgusting. Like, you're, also, no one's no one's offspring have ever been better than the uh, parents, right? You know, like, uh, <laughs> like that's that's not a thing either. I always like you know, people try to judge uh, politicians by their kids a lot of times, it's like. Well, yeah, I mean, like, not everyone's kids are exactly like their parents. I mean, that's, I mean. Except for Trump Jr. He's well, yeah, except for, yeah, except for the, the Trumps or whatever, maybe. But, like, uh, there, there, are, there are some exceptions to that. But, yeah, the Jim Inhofe commercial people have been kind of tired of. I just don't know, like, I don't know. It, it's obviously a lot of what we're talking about is just that war of uh, words and what they mean and just people being so – just the level – of uh, just how people can't understand the compl- complexity of thought. Uh, I, I know today is a uh, nine twelve. Uh, yesterday was nine eleven. Um, the uh, 
what, 19th anniversary of 9-11. And, uh, you know, I I saw Trump give a speech about it. He didn't, it wasn't bad. It was just not a good speech. I mean, it's just a Trump speech. They're kind of just what they are. He is not the world's greatest orator, uh, to to say the least. Um, But I I don't know. I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. I'm sorry to to cut in, but he's not the greatest orator in the world to people who would use the word orator. But to people who would say, he talks like me, or he sees it like me, or he tells it like it is, he's the greatest orator in the world to people like that. Okay, true, true. Yeah, uh, I mean, unless like you know, we they got don't care like, about that. They don't analyze it that way. You know, like, like, like when we watch the debates, for you know, there's going to be articles of like Biden, Biden pwned him, and it's like, yeah, he did, but like, you know, didn't change anyone's mind. You know, but I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on this because I just kind of noticed this. Um, you know, my obviously my social media tends to skew uh, fairly liberal. Uh, at, you know, in 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 the bubble that has been created for me uh, and annoyingly liberal at times too. Um, But uh, I, I did see some people yesterday on the anniversary of nine 11 using that as an opportunity to defend police officers because the police and first responders were the people that responded to the nine 11 tragedy. And my instant thought was, yeah, that's their job. (laughs) I mean, absolutely. Like, absolutely. Do you, do you think that only cops were like, do you think that no normal citizens were helping? Or, <laughs> I like this does not just because people do good things does not mean that it sort of washes over the bad. I mean, helping out in a tragedy does not in does not mean that there isn't systematic racism within the. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I hadn't thought about, you know, this until you just said that, but um, do you know who fights a lot of the California wildfires? Prisoners. Prisoners. So are they the biggest heroes, even though, you know, they do bad shit all the time <laughs> and they're in prison, but they're fighting these fires and saving lives. So are we going to honor them every single year and have like baseball teams wear special hats that insignate first responders? A different type of pinstripes. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Or just for them over the Yankees still every time. Yeah. Or just a bright orange, right? I don't know if you saw it, um, Daniel, that um, Gavin, this is, you know, it's terrible that happens. Gavin Newsom, like, signed something where those people can become firefighters when they get out. Like, they weren't able to be able to um, previously, so. I heard that on a liberal rag radio show called (laughs) National Public Radio, um, where, of course, they glorify evil prisoner firefighters um ability to become first responders but um yeah i did see that and i think that's wonderful because they're they're on the front line just because they've done bad things they are on the front line and they deserve to continue to be frontline people but yes i completely agree responding to a tragedy does not make you an angel if you've um you know committed bad transgressions in the past and you know, that was just something I, I thought was a little bit, it's like, come on, you're using uh, this, this it's moment. Two different things completely. Yeah. It's, it's just, they, there is no connection between the two and you're using that moment to sort of aggrandize something. It's like, look, you know, we've said it numerous times on this podcast. 
like, and again, it's the war of words. It's like the idea of like, like, uh, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, the commercial from Jim Inhofe, like if you're a socialist or a progressive or a liberal, yet those are not all the same thing. Like they're, they're not, they just aren't. But they mean the same thing to the people he's trying to appeal to. Yeah. And it's just like, we've said it before out here, like the, the horrible branding of defund the police coming from the left. That is the Bad first branding. time someone said defund the police. Whoever was in that meeting should have said, no, never say that. That makes, that's going to make people think that you're going to get rid of the police. Like, and, and um, all reality, defund the police means reallocating funding, funds, but still increase public services. Reallocate additional because funds got, to different things. Yeah. Sorry, Dan. Yeah, re I was going to say reallocating funds to public services because cops are overloaded. They are they're parts of their job that they're not equipped for, both training wise and whatever. Like, and maybe demil. Let's start with demilitarize the police. Let's and then let's go with. Um, I don't know, like, you know, something more com complex, because that's a very buzzy phrase. And yes, there's more complexity to it. And I agree with what's behind it. But the branding is so bad. And it just the instant, exactly what you said, what it just gives you the visceral feeling of what it means, even though that's not what it means. Like, that's why company names aren't like, Hey, doo doo foods. You know, <laughs> buy, let's buy doo doo foods. Yeah, yeah. McDonald's, yeah, doesn't, Taco Bell. McDonald's doesn't call their your, their shakes, uh, you know, uh, chemical frozen dairy drink. Uh, they call <laughs> it a shake because they can't legally call it a milkshake because there's no ice cream in it. So, uh, but yeah, that was just something I saw going around on the social media this week. Uh, and the other thing uh, that we saw. Uh, on the social media. This and DeVore, let me, sorry, yeah. man, let me, that, just to that point, I'm glad that my bubble is even more liberal-ish that I didn't even see any of that. That's like, that's crazy. Like, um, and, it, but you're totally right. Like, and there's, um, there was a, um, a police that was murdered in Cleveland um, and it was like through an undercover sting operation and it just seemed, who knows what exactly happened. And it was an extremely obviously tragic thing like that, whenever anyone dies or a cop gets killed, like this guy had, um, you know, he had a parade in the, in the street with hundreds of people there, you know, cops, you know, doing a salute, um, you know, and it was like a couple of teenagers. I think it was like a, maybe a drug bust that, that, that killed him. And like, you know, Tamir Rice also here and near me in Cleveland didn't, doesn't get a parade, you know, for being murdered, for being an innocent 14 year old. And he didn't, he didn't accept the risk by choice of being, of being, you know, black, of being a black young, a, a black kid and cops choose to become cops. And, you know, in the line of duty, when things happen like that, it's awful, but there, there is a difference and it just, I can't help but feel that. And exactly in the way that you said that, you know, duty and choices that people make are misappropriated in so many different kinds of ways, just like Kaepernick, who, you know, was advised by a military Green Beret to do the kneeling, a white dude who fits that profile. It was never about the military. And now, you know, he's, you know, every people are finally understanding, you know, on all sides, well, but yeah. Well, yeah, on that, um, with the Kaepernick stuff. So we saw the first case of how the NFL was going to handle that with the Chiefs game on Thursday. Oh, and so they play the anthems and one player kneels, but then the biggest boo comes from when 
both teams come together for a all races unified um, lock in arms, and then the Kansas City fans just completely boo it. That's not about the anthem. The anthem was over. That's about race relations and them seeing their foothold of a superior getting preferential treatment slipping away, the fans, and them seeing more of an equal playing field as a threat to their life. They want those black athletes to, you know, run around and, you know, shut shut up and dribble, you know, <laughs> shut up and dribble the football, right, in this case. Um <laughs> I, I, think if you sh- I think if you start dribbling the football, they will drug test you. <laughs> it's well, just gross. And, like, I've been a sports fan since I was four years old. Wrong, my Twitter account started as, like, a sports thing. But, like, I just don't feel comfortable. Like, I, I've been, like, Naomi Osaka, who's talking about social justice, who and I love tennis. But, like, I don't feel comfortable, like, watching sports because it's just – it's all of it is just kind of gross. And it's intended – in my opinion, not judging anyone that does. Um, but, like, it just – it's intended for – a lot of those kind of fans that, you know, for an active distraction and, you know, they don't, they don't think of them as people. They think of them as, you know, little things running around on a field that they can bet on or whatever. So it's just, it's the whole landscape is just really, it's really weird around both sports and, and like, it's, it's so awesome that a lot of these athletes are using their platforms now. And it's, and it's just a reflection of, you know, how divided we are that, so many people hate that and they'll vocalize that um got a little off off topic there but just yeah well man. well for uh, oklahoma since this is a oklahoma centric pod politics pod um there was a bar in ardmore last week ardmore oklahoma shout out um i'm sure we have a plethora of oh. listeners down in ardmore um they said that they will because they stand for the flag and kneel for the cross um they will no longer be showing any college football, NFL football, um, NBA, MLB, anybody who shows NASCAR, any I think even NASCAR because they let a black guy drive a car. Um, <laughs> any any sport that acknowledges race, racial inequalities, they will not show in their sports bar. I mean, I'm sure you know a lot of people are rushing on down to Ardmore to hang out in a non sports showing sports bar. Are they going to show days of our lives or is that too, uh, against their, <laughs> their values? I mean, that's absurd. They will that's show the- Glenn Beck playing foosball. That sounds kind of fun for about zero seconds. <laughs> Oh uh, so, yeah, way to way to fu- way to screw up your business and to close you know to close doors to people where you could possibly just you know gain business. People go to sports bars totally to uh, not watch sports. So, and their politic politicalization of everything with that with sports uh, in our at the Ardmore sports bar is exactly what they're against. So their cancel culture is against you know, the BLM <laughs> movement and, but they're totally a hundred percent against cancel culture. So, I mean, it, it makes you kind of want to hit your head against the wall, but um, anyway, how many minutes in are we um, doctor? Uh, boy, that's a good looking question. Uh, one estimate. All the GLQ, GLQ okay. in uh, podcast land. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think 20 ish. I don't know. So. so the reason I ask is we've had the biggest, um, political story of 
a very crowded season, um, very crowded four years. And are, are you talking about the Woodward story that I was trying to segue into earlier? Yeah, I mean, I think okay, it's very- there we go. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hear me out. So we have gone 20 plus minutes into this pod, have not touched on it. I mean, should we just continue to act like it didn't happen, like the Sepulpa Herald did when um, President Obama won the election and they just didn't cover the election? If you don't cover it- I was really hoping you were going to try to say, should we just keep delaying talking about it uh, the same way that Bob Woodward waited to give us this information for several months? Uh, which has been the, uh, that's the other thing they were talking about. The big story that's been going around the internet this week is, of course, Bob Woodward's new book that he is uh, releasing very, very soon uh, that is going to talk all about the Trump administration this year and a lot of stuff <laughs> about coronavirus. And uh, the, and I'm sure that there are deniers out there, but Trump is on audio and they've heard the audio of him talking about how He knew that COVID was going to be a big deal, and he downplayed it to not cause a panic. Correct, which is kind of ironic because panic is the currency of the Donald Trump administration. Yeah, but the real currency of the Donald Trump administration is what uh, most people erroneously judge the economy off of, which is the stock market. And that's what he does not want to be in a panic, was the stock market. Um, So if... as a true Donald Trump currency, would it just be automatic counterfeit? You know, go to jail for it. If you know, you spent it? we've we've uh, we've postulated that he's going to uh, leave the presidency and start his own media network. I think he's going to leave the presidency, start his own media network, and his own cryptocurrency. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think I like he's going to pull a, a Steven Seagal and and just really be with Daddy Vladdy over there. You know. Well, Steven Seagal, you know, uh, Bitcoin next gen. So, you know, he, he had his own that he tried to launch. So there you go. Um, yeah, he's just going to go live in. No, no, he's no. He, I don't know what he's going to do. He'll probably just like show up on like January, whatever Monday, whatever Monday, there's a Monday after the inauguration next year, hopefully when Biden's being inaugurated the next Monday, Trump's just going to show up on Monday Night Raw. You know what I didn't <laughs> have never thought about? What? what? Okay. Biden, Biden wins. Yes, Trump's going to be old. He runs again in 2024, and we do it all over again with it, except he has Kamala or Stacey Abrams to do it against, if Trump somehow survives. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I think that, like, I, I, I think that, you know, a lot of this is, I, I have a friend who was saying that basically he believed prior to, like, COVID happening, that Donald Trump's presidency was basically about him trying to short the market and just make a shit ton of money off of being president of the United States. And then this whole COVID thing kind of ruined all that because everything went, you know, down uh, tremendously, uh, rebounding somewhat now. Um, You know, look, let's, let's, let's get back to the Woodward stuff. Uh, First of all, there's a couple of ways we can attack this. One is the obvious, which is, uh, well, a lot of bad stuff is coming out in this book about Donald Trump. Now, I know that, again, things that we've sort of said on here numerous times, is this information, like, is it going to matter in the grand scheme of things? And I would argue that if we take this information and we take the whole suckers and losers 
and all that stuff. And we couple it with what Joe Biden is trying to do to promote himself as saving the middle class and all this stuff. Joe Everyman. Then maybe, just maybe, it's enough to swing some of those actually you know, undecided or people that jumped over to Trump just because they didn't like Hillary type people to get them back on the side of the Democratic Party. Yeah. But is it going to sway any straight ticket voters? No, it's not going to sway straight ticket voters. The straight ticket voters are straight ticket voters. That's what they're going to be. Um, but is it enough to win some people up or to motivate some people to get out to the polls? That might be more of it, right? Like uh, so much I think of what happened in 2016 was liberal apathy um, right. for, a couple, for a couple different ways. Well, I don't like Hillary Clinton, so I'm not going to vote for her. But I also don't think there's any way in the world that Donald Trump's going to win. So why should I go vote, right? I don't want to like be on record as voting for Hillary Clinton. I also think there's no way in the world he's going to win. So I'm just not going to go vote or I'm going to vote for a third party candidate or something like that. Uh, but yeah, no, um, what, all, what all else have you heard that's in this book other than just the uh, COVID stuff, guys? Well, back to the COVID stuff, before we move on, I think it's really troubling to think that, you know, yes, he was trying to downplay it and said he was trying to downplay it and understood the risk. Um, so that makes me understand that, okay, well, he at least can understand and listen to the science and accept it. But then he goes out and lies to, you know, America about it. And then 200,000 people die. But, you know, so that makes me think, okay, well, he's smart but maniacal. But then you also have to think his goal in that was to get reelected. And he had, you would think in February he would see, okay, if I mishandle this, this is going to come bite me in the ass. And I'm going to be the president who didn't pay attention to a pandemic that I knew was horrible. You know, even if I denied it, it's going to be bad because he knew it was bad. Yeah. He said so in his own word. Mm -hmm. So then he you know, lets everything go to shit. So he was so short-sighted that he couldn't see that a horrible pandemic would ruin his chances in November. That That's insane to me. And he let, um, he let Watergate Woodward record all of it with his permission. Yeah, that's the other thing. On the record. I, I can't remember. <laughs> On the record. I mean, there was no, like, gotcha. This was how, you know, because Donald Trump thought he was so smart that he could out outmaneuver Watergate Woodward um, that this would all just make him look better. That's insane. That's insanity. So it's not like a smart or dumb thing. Yeah. It's an insane thing to me. And I think to go back to what you said, Devor, I think you're, you're right because like the elect, the th same thing that scares us about the electoral college, which is that, you know, Trump could lose by four to 8 million votes. And it's a possibility that he could still win the electoral college. That's literally possible. Um, the same reason that that is scary and why the 2016 map was crazy is, you know, the same reason to potentially be hopeful for 2020 because the margins were so thin in places like, you know, in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Florida, even, which I'm worried is going to go red still, like with recent polls. Yes, polls are unreliable, but whatever. Uh, um, but like, it's everyone's fault, you know, and it just, it's a small amount of different groups of people that could very easily flip it to Biden in those swing states and Arizona, even like, which we talked about before the pod, like that could, that could turn blue, like very easily because of a great Senate candidate. And unlike Hillary, like you were just saying, Daniel, like if you're going to vote for Mark Kelly in the Senate, 
why would you vote against Joe Biden for Donald Trump? And like, you know, people are going to actually be turning out that maybe sat out last time. And there are some down ballot candidates like there, Maine and North Carolina that are going to help us like turn out the vote. And again, why would you vote for this person and, and Trump? So um, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful, Dustin. Well, um, I know we've, we've discussed how polling may be accurate or not, but it's all we've got. Um, right. Two places where Trump or Biden is doing way better. start sounds to the poll coming in 2021. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. There's the first official plug. Um, so one thing that Biden has that Hillary did not is um, she has more or he has more support from people of color as well as suburban white voters. Um, Hillary did not have any support from them, even in polling. And Biden has those. And that's why he has three or four percent higher poll ratings than Hillary had. And that's where the election is going to be won is in um, minority voting as well as white suburban voting, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in Florida, you know, it's interesting, like you were just saying, Florida, there was some recent polling that was, you know, showing demographics and maybe demographic shifts but that also numerically they maybe balance out. So who knows? But I mean, the map, the map is favorable, is favorable to Biden. It really is because of all those narrow margins. And he, you know, he's a Pennsylvania guy. He's, yes, he's a Delaware guy, but he's a, if you know about Delaware, Delaware is basically Pennsylvania. Delaware is like Philadelphia. That's all Delaware is. Sorry, Delaware. Um, but he's, he's a local guy. Um, Michigan. Hillary won, lost by 11,000 votes. Like, if any of those groups, Trump didn't, just like Trump didn't lose any support, whose support did he gain? Whose support is he gaining? No one. Like, so that makes me hopeful, but. Well, that is, as well as if you look at Michigan, um, that again, this 16 was such a perfect storm on so many levels. Hmm. I wouldn't think that, you know, there won't be a Comey FBI investigation launched against Joe Biden the week before the election. Um, and we're more hip to that now, you know, like we didn't exactly. even know what was happening at that time with the misinformation campaigns. Exactly. And so we know what's coming. And if you look at Michigan alone, um, how many people voted for Jill Stein in Michigan? It, it was too many <laughs> substantially more than, you know, 11,000. So I don't see any way that, she gets, you know, a hundred thousand votes in Mich- or somebody like that gets a hundred Jorgensen is the person that's the, somebody like that. That's the libertarian candidate this time and the green party candidate. So Jill Stein got 51,463 votes in Michigan. Gary Johnson so- got 172,136 votes as the libertarian candidate. Um, and those people are voters who said, I really, really hate Donald Trump, but I really, really hate um Hillary as well and Hillary's going to win anyway so I'm going to vote for a third party that that's not the mindset anymore the shock factor of 16 has come and gone I don't see any way that he wins this election and I know confidence is toxic right now because we want to stay you know focused but I really don't see that this goes yeah we are we are definitely uh you know Joe Biden's current uh platform is to uh you know make sure that uh that he he's 
portrayed as the underdog in this right motivate people to vote right want it to seem like it's a sure thing and and it is it isn't a sure thing we don't know like because traditionally and i know you can say that in 2016 that you know joe biden or, or that hillary clinton didn't have a lot of support for people of color uh and that's true but also traditionally that is a those those are demographics that do not turn up to polls as much as they should for reasons that are out of their control a lot of the time but it's it's a fact of the matter is that like the democrats have it's definitely an underrepresented group yeah. yeah the democrats have for so long said oh we can rely on this base but well you can't rely on that base that doesn't show up to vote i mean so that that's the difference now what we're seeing in texas is a lot of the latino base is starting to actually get more politically active and while it's not a given that they are going to be Democrats because they don't agree with a lot of Democratic policy, they also don't like Donald Trump. And so that's why I think you're starting to see these potential ideas that Texas could become a more purple state in going forward. That could, I mean, it's not, listen, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Texas goes blue in this presidential election. I'm not saying it's a 50% chance. I'm not saying it's a 40, 30% chance, but it is within the realm of possibility that that happens. There are one, I, I keep really close track of these congressional races. There are eight congressional races that um, Ballotpedia has ranked as a, a battleground and eight and six of those eight are Republican held seats. And, you know, there are a couple of candidates that are very likely going, that's going to flip blue. And it's reflective of the demographics, but it's also reflective of what they've seen Trump doing, you know, disparaging their communities. And it's, if that happens, like, holy crap, that map will be awesome for us. That's 36 electoral votes. If, if, if it like, sorry. If, I, if I see Texas go blue uh, in a sizable manner, I will kick my heels up for the night. But, I'll say, but what, but what, at that point, I'm on a gravy train with biscuit wheels, right? Here's what I'll say, though. What people, what, what, what Daniel just said about, you know, suburban voters and, you know, city voters, like Texas has, Texas has the most cities outside of California in, in this country. You know, there's Dallas and, the, and you know, places like um, Plano and Frisco, which are suburban Dallas. Those are some of the, that's one of the districts we're talking about. Like weird things could happen and like, Beto did better than Hillary did. Hillary did better than Obama did. Like, you know, it's a, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility and we're speaking hopeful, but. Um, well, I'm glad, you mentioned, I'm glad you mentioned Beto because um, he received, you know, he, he pushed Eduardo Cruz to the limit and that's future Supreme Court nominee Eduardo Ted Wardo Cruz. Um, I feel like I said a four-letter word when I say Ted Wardo. It sounds like a slur against somebody, but it's just a slur against America. Um, the, the fact that Beto could push him to the limit. You know, Beto was, he was a nobody before that race. That's not fair. And, I mean, he's, he was a nobody on the national stage, I guess. He, he's a well-known congressman in El Paso, you know, but who did some good stuff. but. Texas is a weird place. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll just, you know, agree with that, that, you know, we have places like Houston that are going to go hard blue and that's the fourth largest city in America, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And then 
Dallas and the you know it, it all comes down to the suburbs because well, they're going to win. And, and the reality of it is, speaking to certain areas of Texas, if and again, you know, this is you know we're we're talking about bigger, broader policy things here that are out of our control for this election and probably out of our control forever. But like elections need to have more than one day for the election. And I know there's early voting and polling and stuff like that, but that's just not how people operate. Or it needs to be like in Puerto Rico where they're on Saturdays and, you know, from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. or something like that. Because if all the people living in like the San Antonio area of Texas were able to get to the, or the Laredo area or, or the Rio Grande, the Rio Grande Valley area has nearly 2 million people in it. Like there's a reason why there are like, developing pro soccer teams in the Rio Grande Valley because while it may not be one town there's a bunch of towns that are close to each other and when you put them all together they're bordering two million people but a lot of those people don't have access to get to the polls and vote or the IDs to get the polls and vote or whatever and if they had that access Texas would look a lot different I mean Mm -hmm. Texas yes Texas is a lot like Oklahoma uh, in that you have two cities that are kind of purple in Oklahoma, and then you got all the rural, you know, the rural red. Texas has the panhandle red. They're not going. They're not going to be voting for Biden out in Lubbock or Amarillo no. or places like that. <laughs> but they will be in other, other places, uh, you know, uh, in Texas. Yeah, if it goes that way, it would be great. It would be. I mean, what what a th- what a president needs, and what uh, no one in the you know what Trump's administration has not had whatsoever or really anyone sitting in Congress that's a Republican currently, they have no mandate. They have no popular mandate. They, they have not gotten the votes to dictate. The states that they represent represent fewer people than the states that are represented by blue, uh, by Democrats. The current GOP has no popular mandate, yet they're in control. And if Biden can win an election and have a massive popular mandate behind him, then that says to the other party, that, oh, maybe our policies, we have to start updating them a little bit. And that's usually how America slowly inches forward, right? Is that like the other party will realize that, well, our antiquated ways are no longer going to get us elected. We need to change them enough to get votes back. I'm not and, that hopeful. Uh, I, that would be great. <laughs> I mean, did that, did, that happen, did that happen in 2009? We had that in 2009. They were well, we I had mean, universal health care. It was unpopular, but it passed. And now it's celebrated. So two steps forward, one back. Two steps forward, yeah. one back. And that, you know, yeah. that this is pretty much historically how we look at it. I mean, it, it, that's kind of how it works. The United States is a slow and part of it is the United States is so big, it's so diverse that we kind of have to be slow moving forward because it just doesn't work any other way. But it's always been sort of two steps forward, one step back. I mean, hell, go with something as like, you know, blatantly obvious as the Civil War and the ending of slavery. All right, there's a big step forward. Slavery's gone. And then a few years later, massive step back with, you know, Jim Crow laws and things like that. So, like, like we make the we make the progress, then we take it back, you know, and that and that's just goes, you know, because no one can argue. But what you just but. Yeah, but that's but that's that makes me less hopeful because if you really think about slavery and reconstruction for a lot of for a lot of situations it's it was two stand you know three white guys talking about this stuff yeah two step forward you know one point nine nine eight 
steps back, you know, and that, and that's what gets people and, you know, ambivalent sometimes, but, um, but that's, yeah, but that's I, one example. I think but that's the biggest thing we're to, fighting against. I think, I think if every, I think Republican voters are usually motivated out of whatever. Self-interest. Democratic voters tend to think that, you know, especially if they skew hard left that, Oh, it's the same old, same old. And trying to motivate those people is the hard part. Like to say, yes. And I, I always go back to it. I would love if every night of the week I could go out and get a filet mignon or eat the fanciest of food. But sometimes you don't get exactly what you want. And you have to settle for something that's just maybe slightly better than uh, what we, you, you could be having, right? You try and, sometimes. Yeah, I mean. It just might could, find yeah, you get what you need. Yes. So, uh, but all this came about because we were talking about the Bob Woodward book, right? <laughs> and we never really talked about much other than the COVID stuff. Uh, so I, I know there were some other things in there, and I, I, I'm, you know, uh, yeah, a few things that were in the book that um, were in the book that has not been released um, are in the book out Tuesday. Um, Bob Woodward, if you want to be our guest, we'll do a special pod on Tuesday for yes. your book release. Yeah, um, that, 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 that's going to be a random. I, I would love to get the random phone call from Bob Woodward. That's a get. That's All right, a get. this is Bob Woodward. Um, yes, I saw you have 437 listeners. Um, I would love to come push my book on your pod. Hey, that's 400. You know what? If Bob Woodward wants to come on our podcast, I will buy his book. So there you go. Bob. Buy- go ahead. <laughs> I'll buy 10 of them. Yeah, you'll buy 10 of them before I commit to that. Yeah, I'm sure it's like 20 bucks. Uh, I'll buy seven. Um, I can do seven. Um, but yeah, he did talk about um, a few just minor, probably non-starter issues um, that he is, he, Trump was asked about white privilege and he completely denied that any white privilege could actually be real. He told Woodward he was drinking the Kool-Aid by suggesting that white privilege could be a real thing. He also did, um, tell Bob Woodward in an on-the-record inter- taped interview that we have a, um, missile def- a nuclear missile defense system that nobody's ever heard of um, that was top secret. He told a reporter about it, and then Woodward went and verified it. And for some reason, somebody gave him verification. But he had the president of the United States on the record saying, we've got this new secret <laughs> nuclear program that will scare all the people who, you know, are, are against us. How is he talking to a reporter on the record about a top secret nuclear program? That's so insane. When you have those private meetings with Putin, I have complete confidence that things are just totally chill. Totally yeah. chill. He didn't say anything. Uh, we also had, uh, apparently, uh, Mulvaney and Graham, uh, Lindsey Graham begged him not to kill Soleimani, uh, was going to, uh, the, the Iranian uh, general is in the book. Uh, we also have, uh, I believe he admits to, like, bailing out the Saudi prince after the killing of, uh, of uh, uh, what's his name? Kamal Khashoggi. Yeah. Uh, like, it's like he just decided to cop to everything bad he did. He, like, like he, I'm surprised that, like, I'm sure that maybe, like, page, like, I hope it's, like, page 69 is just, like, he's like, yeah, the P-tape's real. Here's the, here's the web address. You can go find oh, it. 
The interesting choice of uh, editing. You can go find it. You can go find it at Pornhub. Like Donald Trump's launching his OnlyFans this week when that book comes out, and he's gonna have oh just God. his people on there. Like, so uh, yeah, I've asked myself over and over, why would a president, any president at all, go talk to the person who took down the Nixon administration through interviews? Why would he? grant 18 interviews to him and then i thought oh wait who was the secret source in the nixon interviews that woodward used and it was deep throat and i'm sure trump read you know the cliff notes on the nixon situation and saw oh this reporter has a connection to some person named deep throat i gotta talk to this person <laughs> you know and then trump was hooked at that point so he had to give him 18 interviews and give away um top secret um military this is this is all it's just it's all narcissism and ego man like 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 bob woodward is you know he's regarded very very high you know is he the highest regarded journalist in america i don't know but he's very up there and trump wants to have his name in woodward's mouth i mean that's that's just what it is i mean um like it, it's going to be a wild book. It'll be, it'll be insane to see uh, when people break it down, when it comes out to all the stuff, will it matter? I hope, I hope for some people it matters to hear this stuff uh, enough. I you know. think like before Corona, you know, him being completely complicit in, in coronavirus, not saying anything, disclosing anything to the public, there being evidence of it. Like it's so it's disgusting. I mean, and you guys who, you know, are at, at more at risk than, than me, like being school teachers, like, you know, being rage like just because he is actively and after everything that that exists knock on wood like he's gonna um there's gonna be a huge class action lawsuit and many of them but one of them from you know the families of people that um you know passed away due to coronavirus because we could have actively taken measures to you know not to prevent it or to at least slow it down he knew what it was February 7th was that interview where he said, we know it's airborne. I talked to President Xi. It's tough. It's tough. It spreads really fast. You know, we know it's airborne. Uh, and yeah, that it, was before, it was March that the first case was in the United States. Correct. So and he is complicit, undeniably. So, by Several weeks, by maybe, you know, almost two months. Because it was mid-March before it became a, a serious thing here right. and you know the fact that he had a, a a strategy of okay i'm gonna downplay this and i'm gonna tell a reporter that i'm downplaying it um that would be like if there was a huge tsunami a huge wave coming for the west coast and you know it's gonna wipe out la and san francisco it put out the fires which would be good but um it's gonna you know hit the west coast in three days and you know it and you can either tell everybody and make everybody make plans for it or you can say well i didn't want people to get afraid so i told them it was just a normal wave that there are just normal waves coming in i mean it's equitable to that where you have the facts and then you deny them when you're talking to the public and then the wave destroys you know the west coast and then you blame china for not telling you that the wave was coming even though China had told you, and you admitted to a journalist that China had told you the wave was coming in February. Well, and you have an obligation as a public servant to do that. 
to tie it, to, you know, I, I think I just thought about this here. You know, a few years ago in Oklahoma, Aaron Tulsa, we had the uh, that tornado that sort of came out of nowhere and destroyed, uh, you know, uh, it destroyed the Fridays and all that stuff over there around 41st Street. And everybody was mad at the siren operator that they didn't throw the siren, I guess, in time or whatever. And this would just be like, yeah, if a, if a siren operator knew that a tornado was possible, was possible, it just said, nah. A month and a half beforehand. Yeah, I don't want people to get scared. Like, <laughs> just don't do that. Like, uh, but yeah. It's horrible. I know it's way worse than, you know, a normal tornado. This is a super, it's five times worse than the normal tornado. And telling a reporter that, and then knowing that it's going to happen, and then five weeks later, going still going out to the people and saying, this tornado is just a minor wind. It will just blow away. You know, that's insane. That's insane that anybody would accept that. And um, it's completely implicit, as Belsky said. Now, uh, I do want to say the other side of this Woodward story, as I introed with, are the people that tried to, uh, I saw this coming from both sides, uh, tried to deflect the narrative uh, here and say, well, if this is so important, why did he wait until September to release it? Which, yeah. which uh, the reality of it is there are a few reasons. Uh, Woodward's reason on record, because he addressed this this week, was I had to fact check all this. and. And that is, I think, uh, an acceptable uh, response. I don't think that people like like that response. I think the people that really, really hate Donald Trump and you know his mishandling of COVID, like, well, you should have released this immediately as soon as you had it. That's just not how this stuff works. I mean, if he does that, and he's doing he the is exact, a journalist. If he does that, then he's doing the exact. You know, we're coming off of nine eleven, right? Uh, if he, I remember 9-11, and I remember the knee-jerk reactions immediately after it of like, oh, these people are responsible, these people are responsible. If you do that type of stuff, you're doing that type of irresponsible reporting where you're just putting stuff out there that may or may not be true. And he's an actual journalist, and he wants to make sure that it's true. And clearly he well, saw that it was vetted enough and it was true enough that he is going to publish it. Is he well, going to make not enough of it? Yeah. Not only that, but we're talking about a journalist versus the United States president. So if Woodward had come out with it, everybody would have already, everybody who supports Trump would have said, no, this is fake. We believe what the president's saying at the time. Um, Trump would have doubled down just like he's doing now, even though it's already been, you know, decided, you know, we have 200,000 people dead. It's not like, he can still say it's fake, but he is saying it's fake. You know, I don't understand why a journalist releasing information that the president had is a defense for the president saying it and all that he did. That's insanity to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Like he's a journalist. He, he has to build the, he's right. He was there to write a book. He has to check everything and verify everything in order to be the respected person that he is. He's been around for five decades, like if not longer. And, you know, one of the reasons going back to how did, you know, how did this happen? Like if you're, if you're a Trumpy right now, like, and you're not pissed off at Jared Kushner or Lindsey Graham or whoever said it was cool to do this, like you're, you're a moron, but like part of the reason that this happened is because like 
Woodward's good at his job. He has relationships with sources. If you listen to those interviews, you know, he's, he's letting Trump speak. He's asked, you know, he's not, he's not opinionated. He's just like a lot of these other folks that are, you know, that are coming out with stories against Trump that don't have a dog in the fight other than, you know, being fearful of our, of our democracy and the future of it and what this man will do to it. So like he, I don't, I, that, that argument that the Twitter sphere has doesn't really hold water to me. Like what you were just saying, Dustin, like it's not, of course yeah. he's not going to release it immediately because then it would be invalidated. And just like you said, Daniel, the fake outrage that would come just like what's coming now, it would just come in a different form, um, you know, on both sides. And, and I, I think the reason I bring it up is just that warning of don't let those type of narratives deflect from what's actually important in regard to this. Like, just because you might be like, because I had someone, I said, you guys don't understand what reporting and like book contracts and everything are like, you know, and your, your agreements you've made with your sources and stuff. Like, I don't care. He could have saved lives. And I'm like, no, it wouldn't have saved lives. President, President Woodward is not a thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. So So such a, I was like, deflection. I, it's hard to even fathom it. And I know it, and I know it's really crappy to be like, sort of analytical and like, you know, like strategic when people are getting sick and dying, but it's better that it come out now and can potentially cost him the presidency than it come out four months ago, three months ago and get news cycled out completely and be forgotten about. Right. From his perspective, he's a great journalist. He's not even, you know, that's, that's great for us, you know, uh, yeah. you know, retroactively, not, but he's not thinking about that stuff. Yeah. And all those arguments hold complete water, just like you said. If you know anything about what it means to be a journalist, to build it, you know, one oh, the first interview on February seventh, he hears about um, he hears about what you know Trump said about coronavirus, that disgusting stuff that he knew that it was airborne. Woodward goes public with that. No one believes him, and then anything else he says on the topic or on Trump is completely invalid. And coronavirus happens the same if not worse, because just like you said, this doesn't have credibility right now with that built case. So like, we need to think, just like you said, you need to think about it strategically from his perspective, but also from, from our perspective as, you know, voters and people that want to see real change in him out. All right, guys. Well, we need to, uh, you know, we're, I think we're approaching the uh, hour mark if we haven't already smashed through it. Um, So mad, so mad. Uh, yeah, I know. We haven't even talked about Oklahoma. Yeah, we haven't really talked about Oklahoma. What what in Oklahoma would you like to talk about? Well, the um, pandemic denying White House has put Oklahoma at number four nationally in um, the most red infected areas in America. Number four out of fifty. Um, that would be Oklahoma. Governor Stitt um, responded by saying, I told you all I would make you top 10. Let's go for number one. Um, he's going to try to make us number one in COVID. So numbers are rising. Um, yeah, I mean, stop and applaud for, for Governor Stitt because he promised. He's delivering on the promise. We're going to be number one if we keep it up. No mandates, no masks, no bar closures, nothing. And he's, you know, quadrupled down on it and said, I'm going to do no, you know, closures. We're not going back. We're only going forward. Everything's going to stay hundred percent open and um, COVID numbers can continue to rise. They're up a thou- from week to week. Um, a month ago, we had a, 
a thousand less cases um, per week than we have now. So, I mean, we're rising exponentially in Oklahoma and Stitt will get on TV with his mask, his gator, you know, the least effective mask, of course, um, around his neck, not even around his face and say, Oklahomans have done the best job. And then the White House will say, you all are doing the 48th or 46th best job, which is ironic because we're the 46th state. Um, I, I, we're going to shoot for number one and Stitt will do nothing to stop it. Cases are rising. They're going down in other places. They're still rising here. And I blame our state leadership for that 100%. I am so glad I don't live in Oklahoma. I love, I love you guys. I love Oklahoma, you know, pay, still paying attention to Oklahoma politics. Like Oklahoma fifth district is maybe one of the most interesting congressional districts in the, in the whole country. And hopefully the Oklahoma first congressional district can do maybe what the Oklahoma fifth did last time. And, you know, surprise everybody, Kojo, Kojo. Um, but yeah, right. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, I'm so glad I'm not there guys. Which, uh, that was, uh, that was going around this week. Kojo had to, Kojo had to address, uh, the same thing, you know, basically Obama again of, uh, had to address his birth certificate issue because challengers were saying that he wasn't a really an American. Really? So he had to post his uh, birth certificate on Facebook to show that he was born in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, yes, his parents were from Ghana, but he was born right here in the great United States of America. Uh, Wait, is Virginia still a, is that an, a state? No, it's, have a common, been, it's a commonwealth. Oh, okay. See, that's the thing. I mean, you tell me Virginia is a state and then we'll, then we'll talk. Okay. I mean, Virginia has barely a leg to stand on. I mean, next you're going to tell me Philadelphia is like a historic city. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think uh, the last thing that I really want to talk about is a, a national thing. Uh, but before that, I do want to shout out to everybody and let a couple plugs here before we get to the end of the show. Uh, first of all, the uh, evil overlord of Soundstooth, Landry Miller, is launching a new podcast on the network called Spare Some Change, uh, where it's going to be, a, uh, I believe, a Tulsa-centric uh, social change podcast. Well, he'll be uh, interviewing uh, local leaders and uh, – of various other important people from around the city of Tulsa. Uh, so watch for that coming soon. Uh, don't know if there'll be a video element to that or not, but it will definitely be out available on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, and the Soundstooth app. You can check that out. Uh, if you are liberally inclined, and you probably are if you're listening to this, on October 11th at the Looney Bin Comedy Club, a friend of the show, uh, Michael Patton, is hosting the Laugh Liberally show uh, which will have a lot of great comedians on it. It's going to have some uh, some people from Tulsa's past uh, who used to be on that, and it's going to have oh, I'm forgetting his name now, but he uh, he's he works for NPR here in Tulsa, and I I'm forgetting his Barry Friedman is going to be on the show from from NPR Tulsa, and uh, you can check that out at the Looney Bin. It is thirty dollars in advance, forty at the door, and uh, a portion of those proceeds will go to I believe the League of Women Voters here in Tulsa, but I'm not 100% sure. I know it is going to a charity of some sort, so you can definitely go check that out. Well, now I do wish I lived in Tulsa. Well, you know, we got some stuff going on. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about, guys, I don't know if you saw it. Uh, I happened to catch it, and it was uh, Joe Biden's speech out of Michigan this week. Uh, and his, uh, I think, other than the last five minutes of the speech where he started turned into Stumbly Joe a little bit on the, the speeches or whatever, um, 
I thought his strategy in Michigan is very, very uh, good. It's to focus. It's to the crux of it was we're going to build cars in Michigan, but they're going to be electric cars. And that, and he talked about the new electric Corvette that can go like 211 miles an hour and stuff like that. Like kind of speaking to like, you know, Oh yeah. Electric cars aren't for wimps. They go fast and things like that. Um, and he talked about his plan for a nationwide grid system of, uh, of e-fueling stations and how this will bring back jobs and everything else. Uh, an estimated million jobs coming from this, you know, plan alone through the, the auto industry and then also the infrastructure uh, to go along with it. Uh, I thought it was a, a pretty good strategy because it, it does a dual purpose. It, it shows a commitment to, you know, green uh, resources and green energy on one side with electric cars, but also keeps it sort of in an old school mentality of cars, right? This is what you're known for. This is what you're going to be known for. They're just going to look a little different, right? It's, you know, Build back better. That's his phrase, right? Yeah. And, and also the other big part of it was attacking Trump, its administration, for exploiting loopholes in the Buy American uh, laws that we have for the federal government uh, and buying outsourcing and buying things from foreign countries. I forget the total amount that he said has been uh, spent in foreign countries by the federal government uh, to buy goods and things that could have been purchased in the United States. Uh, but he basically uh, said that he's going to attack those and he guarantees that they won't be filing for loopholes uh, to buy things from other countries if it's available here in the United States to buy American. And I think those are the type of messages we're looking at to try to win those swing voters. Uh, oh, and one more thing that he's going to crack down on companies because I guess there's really no law saying that you can't just put made in the USA on your tags uh, on things and basically going after large companies that are doing that, that are kind of fudging the system and saying that, you know, this is made in the United States, but in reality it's being made by, you know, kids in Malaysia and uh, assembled in the United States. There's a big difference uh, to that. So, uh, but he did stumble a bit at the end. Um, he was, and I wish he hadn't because he was trying to drive home a really good point. Um, he talked about the over 6,000. He gave the exact number. He said he's got a little card in his wallet that has the COVID numbers every day. It's got the, the numbers for everyone that's died. He talked about the like over 200,000 military members that have gotten COVID uh, and over 6,000 that have died from COVID. Uh, and so kind of uh, trying to focus that angle on it as well, which had he not stumbled a little bit, I thought would have been really, really good. But he kind of like, just started, you know, stumbling at the end, which was kind of detracting from the speech. So, all right, you guys got anything else we need to go out on some quick hits or anything like that? Well, I, I just feel like Biden and his speeches after the Woodward book came out have been very effective because he can say, you know, this has been a complete dereliction of duty. You're not fit for office and angry Biden is good if he's, you know, speaking for the common man and the common man should be pissed. And probably most of them are if they hear that the pandemic was underplayed by intentionally undersold by the administration. So that's a, that's a big winning point for Biden. I think. Yeah, yeah I agree. Michigan, let's build back better. Let's get some electric cars. Let's make stuff. Let's, let's have jobs. Let's do the things that we can do 
you know, with the economy from the ground up in real ways that the economy is measured, not the stock market. People got $1,200 during this pandemic when we have, what, millions and millions of people losing their jobs. We have to do stuff. We have to build back better. Joe Biden 2020. Trump, go home. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, if you guys don't have anything else out there, I think we're going to wrap up this week's episode. Be sure to uh, to like us on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, I don't think we have an Instagram. We don't want to. Oh, see one it. more thing, just yeah. to put everything in perspective, you know, because yesterday was very solemn, being the anniversary of 9/11. But just remember, 19 years ago, never forget that Trump bragged on live TV about how he now had the tallest building in New York or that he thought he did um, when the Twin Towers went down. That is the epitome of Donald Trump. There you go. Well, with that, we're going to end this week's episode of Red State Blues. Guys, please be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Download that Soundstooth app. Check out all the great shows we got going around town. Check out all the other great podcasts that we have. Hope you guys have a great day, and maybe this week will be a little bit better than last. Peace out.